This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Good morning and welcome back to the Mike Smith Show. My name is Scott Schantz filling in for Mike Smith. And normally, Keith Baldry would be on at this time. But today, filling in for Keith Baldry is Bill Thielman. Good morning, Bill. Thanks so much for being here. How are you? I'm doing well, Scott. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad to talk to you because you feel very in the know, at least to to me, about lots of things that I want to discuss on the show this morning, particularly the fact that the legislature is sitting tomorrow for fall session. And uh, I think the biggest topic, at least in my mind, the biggest topic facing British Columbians, facing people in our city, I mean, really all across our country, but especially right here at home, is housing. This is the thing. It's going to continue to be the thing. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And I don't know about you, but I don't really see like an easy way out of this whole situation. No, we've been digging ourselves a hole here in BC and really in Toronto and other larger cities uh, across the country for quite some time. And we saw, you know, even when inflation was super low, Scott, and we had uh, mortgage rates that were pretty affordable, uh, relatively speaking, uh, people were still finding a very hard time to buy a house or, or to rent a house. And now that we've got pretty strong inflation going on here with the interest rates up quite a bit, mortgages are getting very painful for people who maybe got a got a unfixed a, a variable mortgage not a fixed rate to term mortgage and so we're going to we're going to see the housing issue dominate i think right through into the federal election as well as uh, the bc election next year so it's a real challenge for government and do you think that as the as the legislature sits do you think that they have any idea to uh, how they're going to actually try to tackle this? I mean, we hear all sorts of ideas, you know, that they're kind of mandating some some building regulations in various municipalities. And uh, I mean, all of this stuff, is it going to make any difference? Do you think that they're like, do you think they have a firm grasp on this and that we're going to get um, some positive movement? Well, I think we are going to see the B.C. government uh, and Ravi Kala, the minister of housing, has said this. They're going to introduce legislation that gives targets for uh, a number of communities, cities and communities in B.C. that they have to meet over five years. And if they don't meet it, the government may, provincial government may overrule some of the zoning bylaws, etc. Now, that makes, of course, the municipalities kind of nervous, to put it mildly, uh, and people like me also somewhat nervous as to what they might do. But the targets, uh, like, for example, the target for Vancouver is 28,900 units, uh, 7,240 for Abbotsford, 4,902 for Victoria. So they're they're fairly substantive. But uh, Vancouver built, uh, if I got it rightly, yeah, Vancouver built about 27,000 new homes net uh, in the last five years, or five years from 2017 to 2021. So it's not um, it's not an impossible. It's adding about 2,000 units. So I don't think it's impossible. The real question is is are they affordable housing units? Right. We've had a situation where uh, developers said, it's all about supply, 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 so let us build supply and we'll fix the problem. Well, guess what? <laughs> we don't have a fix to the problem because we didn't build affordable housing. We built market housing, market rental, uh, luxury condos, condos that people from out of the country are buying as investments, not uh, housing that people can afford to buy or, or to rent in. And so that's the real challenge that, that British Columbia and Canada face, and, and particularly in Vancouver and Victoria. 
Yeah, I, I mean, that's my thought as well. It doesn't matter what it is or where you build it. If it's in the lower mainland, someone's going to buy it with the hopes of flipping it in a few years for more money because that's, that's been the model to, to generate substantial wealth here. And, you know, I don't mind. I'll put my hand up. Yes, that's not why I got into the housing market. But, of course, like anyone who owns a property here has made, has made money. And how do you fix the housing market without eliminating that for all of these people who have made money as part of like capitalism and part of the society that we that we have created and a lot of those people are politicians and people who are like making these these sort of rules so i you know i think one of the best ways i've heard it put is it took us 30 years to get into this and it's going to take us that long to get out of it yeah i hope it's not 30 years for the sake of my daughter uh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> who, who is living with her husband and my granddaughter in rental housing because uh that's a long time to wait. But I, 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 it's certainly true. We're not going to see a solution in a year or two years. We can hope that interest rates go back down again. That would help a fair bit. Um, but, you know, ultimately, government kind of disengaged, um, for the most part, from anything to do with housing, particularly the federal government back in the 70s, 80s, which is when the crisis started to build. And uh, we really need to have uh, all three levels of government, federal, municipal, and provincial, involved in solutions. And when, they're not, and when one of them is not, especially the senior government, it makes it almost impossible. We need, for example, we need co-ops. We need lots more co-ops. And uh, the only story we've heard about co-ops in recent years is that their leases were running out and the governments didn't want to extend them. Yeah. So, you know, that's not helping affordable housing. Co-ops are very affordable. And I think in the, in the long term, Scott, I think we're going to be looking at a situation where there's a lot more involvement of government in housing because you just can't leave the situation in the hands of the private sector completely and expect that people who work for a living, people who are teachers, nurses, doctors, even uh, every, uh, first uh, responders, that they're going to be able to afford to live in Vancouver and service uh, the city that we, we, knew, we know and love. Um, and let alone the people who work in grocery stores. So somebody's got to do something more. You're right. You're absolutely right. And, and that's exactly it. It's all well and good to, you know, make a bunch of money off properties. But then when the restaurant you want to go to doesn't have any staff because the staff can't afford to live here, yeah, yeah. the place becomes less desirable. But yeah, it's one that we are all, I think everybody is invested in and really close to. And uh, I think for that reason, it makes sense that it's going to be one of the big, big topics um, over the next at least year and, and more to come. But, uh, okay, let's shift gears here for a second. Tell me about this John Rustad tweet. He's the leader of the provincial conservatives, right? He, he is. And the BC conservatives, of course, are a new, new party. As of a couple of days ago, they were uh, – the rules of the legislature are if you have two members of the legislature you can in, in one party, then you're officially recognized. And what that meant for the BC conservatives, John Rustad was thrown out of the BC liberals before they became the BC United Party. And uh, he joined the B.C. Conservatives, and then Bruce Bannon joined him, uh, Abbotsford MLA. So now he's got two, and that means he gets extra funding and staff, etc. So that's going to be a real headache for Kevin Falcon and B.C. United. Uh, and I, um, I suspect it'll be somewhat welcomed by the NDP, unless they do too well. But uh, John is the leader, and he put out a, th- a tweet, which I'm just going to read it because it's hard to believe otherwise. Today is National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, or, or in Shirt Day. Today we remember what happens when the Canadian government thinks it's better at raising children than parents. I will always stand with parents. Now, to reduce residential schools and the terrible things that happened uh, to Indigenous peoples in British Columbia and across the country, and and all of the the, death and horrors that we heard about, to a simple statement saying (laughs) the Canadian government thinks it's better, uh, it it trivialized, to me, it trivialized 
a very important day that 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 I honor and respect, and others do. And I thought, no, you're trying to score a extraordinarily cheap political point with no historical context. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best—it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line—it's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI—it's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's Wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder. Welcome back to the Mike Smith Show. My name is Scott Schantz, filling in today and tomorrow. And our guest is Bill Thielman. He's with West Star Communications, the president there, a strategist, a uh, communications expert in government relations, and uh, a former Vancouver City Council candidate. Now, we were talking just before the break, Bill, about uh, Truth and Reconciliation Day. That was on Saturday, September the 30th. So today is a stat. Lots of people have the day off. Is this... I don't want this to just be a long weekend. Like we were talking previous to this about the importance of Truth and Reconciliation Day. I saw a stat over the weekend that said about half, it was 48%, but about half of Canadians don't know how or don't have an intention to recognize Truth and Reconciliation Day. And I feel like that's a problem. I feel like we've talked about this a lot, but maybe it's Canadians don't know how to do it or don't know like what the best way to do that is. Is this something that's going to get better or like how, how do we fix that? Well, I think it's kind of early days on Truth and Reconciliation Day as a, as a national holiday, though it's been a day, uh, orange shirt day is often called as well. And I think, um, you know, I hope people will try and do at least some of the minimal things. Certainly in my family, we were wearing uh, orange shirts, and some of them were specifically to the to this uh, issue with uh, every child mis- uh, is wanted or is needed. Uh, no child should go missing, obviously. Um, personally, I just give a pitch. I gave a donation to the Indian Residential School Survivor Society, which is a registered charity. People can look that one up and made a donation to them because of the work they do, which is providing services to residential schools survivors and families and those are kind of positive things i think people can do there were a a number of events a lot of people attended a lot of events around metro vancouver and across the province and i think as the day grows and as we obviously still have much more to learn about what happened there um you know both through our schools and individually and through the media i hope that it becomes a bigger and more important day than just a holiday yeah i felt the same way that was kind of like my reaction to that was this is still in its infancy the idea of a truth and reconciliation day you know we think about remembrance day which we've had for you know decades and and centuries or generations and centuries and it's um it's taken time for it to really take hold. And now we have things that we, we wear a poppy and we have assemblies at school and people go to memorials. They happen all over uh, the lower mainland. It's very easy to find one. And I think people give that the proper reverence. I think in this case, it's one of the things that having the day will keep us talking about it. Right. And, and we'll learn to get better at that as time goes on. And uh, I will say that our, my, my main involvement, at least with, has been through my, my kids' school. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that, you know, in second grade and even in kindergarten, they're being taught, you know, that maybe not all the details, but there's there's something important happening here. And you need to you need to learn about this continually. And we need to continue to work towards reconciliation. So I like that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that the future for this is is in the hands of our our kids and uh, and all kids in British Columbia. And I think when people realize it, it's you know it, it 
we we talked about the pretty dumb tweet that came out of John Rustad, the yep. BC Conservatives. Uh, that's the kind of ignorant uh, uh, ignorance that we have to get rid of, and I think that that will happen in due course. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right there. So I want to ask you about something. I'm not sure if, if you saw this or not, so please bear with me. I saw something on Reddit this morning, and I'm not exactly an Elon Musk fan, but he has uh, put a tweet out sort of essentially calling out the Canadian government and Justin Trudeau about um, trying to regulate podcast uh, subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Are you are you familiar with this? I haven't seen that yet, but the, you know, uh, if I followed Elon Musk all the time, right. I would have no other job. No, of course, of <laughs> course. So essentially, there's a, a CRTC regulation that is being debated that anyone who is going to host a podcast platform, you know, so if we wanted to say say you and I wanted to start a business where we host and produce a bunch of podcasts, that that would need to fall under CRTC regulation. And again, not the hugest Elon Musk fan, but uh, what he's saying is that essentially this is not a good idea. This is going to limit free speech. The idea behind podcasting is it's like this internet thing, free and open internet, and people should be able to to, to have that and to voice their opinions. And I mean, you know, it gets into some things about hate speech and stuff, but I like I... I fall in line with this. I don't want my podcast to be regulated by the CRTC. I want to be able to say what I want to say freely and openly, and I'm willing to live with the consequences that if I owned a business and I said something and that lowered my you know, amount of sales, that's, that's on me. Um, but the government trying to step in and sort of have some regulation here, how, do, how does that make you feel? How do you feel? Well, about I, that? Agree, I agree with you and, and Elon Musk. And, and, you know, I mean, even a stop clock is right twice a day, Scott. So <laughs> every <laughs> now go. and again, I'm going to yeah, agree yeah. with Elon Musk, I guess. But yeah, I mean, the CRTC performs an important function in making sure that radio and television and broadcast is, is properly regulated. We don't have, you know, crazy things going on. But uh, if somebody wants to start a podcast that three people are going to listen to or eight people are going to listen to, I could care less, and I don't want to spend my tax dollars. If they break the law, then they should be prosecuted, obviously. If they're saying, you know, ridiculous, offensive, racist, hateful things, um, then, yeah, the hammer should come down on them. But, to, you know, to, to try and regulate uh, that, I think, is is you know, an impossible task for starters and also an extremely expensive one for taxpayers. I think we can use our money elsewhere first. Yeah, and that's a really great point because, of course, a lot of people are, you know, crying uh, censorship and, uh, you know, all sorts of other things that people like to cry. Like, I don't, I definitely don't think that this is um, the Trudeau government or the Canadian government or the CRTC trying to... uh, maintain an ability to put out any type of propaganda or stop anyone from speaking poorly of them. I don't think that, but I agree with you that there is, uh, it's, it's just a massive, massive, massive waste of energy. Um, it really feels like that. Hey, we need to be looking for other things for the government to do. They've got lots on their hands and they're not doing a great job at some of it.